But that's what's scary. Some people make so much money and they have no clue what they're doing with it. And that's where like, I'll be honest, I sit back. I was the guy that did tax returns at a firm, was making an okay salary. I bought a home at 22. So I was, I felt like I was ahead. Yeah. But then I'm like, I was staying in public accounting. So again, I'm seeing a variety of clients and I'm seeing people that have no clue, Caleb. They have no clue and they're making a ton of money. They're just a mess, chaos. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Matt, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We've been chatting for about 10 minutes, and I can assure everyone that's watching this or listening to this, you better buckle up because we're going to be talking about a lot about as it relates to keeping your money, different financial strategies, outlooks. We might even throw in some like personal wisdom from someone who just had has a couple kids, moved into a new house, has uh, maybe some thoughts about life. Matt, I really appreciate you. I would love to get your quick story because I know you're a CPA, and, and before people just turn this off saying, oh, all CPAs are just super boring. I can assure you that not only is Matt a CPA and he's very, very smart, but he can communicate and has a ton of passion. So man, the bar is set. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Caleb. So hey, thanks again for having me on here. So I'll, I'll try to make this quick. So I was born and raised in Las Vegas. I've always been interested in money and finance. So right when I hit college, I went and got a job at Wells Fargo. And through college, I had the dream of playing pro baseball and that didn't work out. So then I knew that sticking with a finance or accounting degree would guarantee me a job. I think deep down, I'm an accountant, which is very risk adverse. As I've become an entrepreneur, I've kind of strayed away from that. But through college, I definitely had that mentality. So I graduate college. In college, they preach to you or they preach to you to go to the big four firms for accounting. So I went to Deloitte. I was very proud to make it there. I kind of earned my stripes there, did a little over two years and realized this isn't my long-term path. One of the best pieces of advice I had was, you know, look at the people above you if that's where you are and that's kind of where you're headed. So I knew that that wasn't my path. So I left, but I wanted to stay in public accounting, which is serving a variety of clients, right? To the public markets. I didn't want to go and work in an internal accounting department and kind of do that nine to five. So I stayed in public accounting and went to a couple of different firms. I started out doing audit work, which is auditing financial statements. And then I knew that there was more money and more you know, client interaction on the tax side. Me walking around as an auditor, I wasn't that liked, you know, but versus me being on the tax side, people were like, man, how can you help me save money? And you were much more, you were more of an advocate and sort of a friend of the client than kind of a, you know, like a pest. So from there, I went to a firm that specialized in real estate. And I slowly started to build a book of business on the side because that's sort of everyone's goal. If you want to make it out of public accounting, you got to build your own book of business. Here and there, I would find people who wanted their tax returns done. And I built my book of business up to whatever it was, X dollars. And then I met this guy, Ryan Pineda, and he was a big fish that I landed. I landed his bookkeeping work, which turned into his tax work. And then all of a sudden we were at one of his company's quarterly end parties who I did the books for. And I had made the joke like, Hey man, we should start a firm together. There's a big need here in real estate. And he of course was like, all right, let's do it. I quit my job December, like 17th, 2019. I just got promoted to manager again, was on that steady track. And then we started the firm January 1st called true books, which services, um, you know, real estate professionals, really any small business and tax and accounting. And so January 1st of 2020, I've been this entrepreneur and sort of this business owner. And so it's been a wild ride and I love it. And like we kind of chatted about, 
I have a couple young kids, a few young kids, you know, I'm married and um, me and my wife are both in finance. So some of those conversations can get interesting in the house, but it's been a wild ride. And so, you know, again, thank you for having me on and I'll, you know, love to share more of my story or, you know, what we're going to talk about today, you know, as far as the topic goes and we'll go from there. You know, I, I find it interesting that you have this concept of tax prep and most people have like this um, maybe unhealthy relationship with their CPA because they're just, they're like, they don't necessarily want to spend time um, working on tax strategy, but they're upset on how much taxes they have to pay. Um, and so you kind of have that. And, and a lot of times the industry is just prepping your returns. But then when you get into that strategy phase, you become their best friend because it's oh, like, yeah. I'm sure this is what happened with Ryan. He's like, Hey, can we do this? Can we do this? And it's like, uh, I don't want to overpay a single dime uh, mm -hmm. to, to an institution. I would rather keep that and control that myself. And so I find that fascinating and, and all, already, like I could talk to you all day long because I could, I have the tendency of like throwing off, like, Hey, can I deduct these things? And can, can there be <laughs> strategies here? And so that's fascinating. We originally got introduced, uh, by a mutual friend and you, you have this topic called the distribution retirement disaster. This is very interesting to me because I think a lot of people do not think with the end in mind. And so I'm curious what this, what this is. I would love for this to be like very much the foundation of what we talk about, because what I've, what I'm experiencing is so many people are making decisions, but they don't clearly understand the consequences or the result that they're even doing. And, and again, I don't know if this is, we have not talked beforehand about what this looks like, but like, I see things like 401ks and SEP IRAs as things that may or may not be good depending on the results that they provide somebody. And so again, I don't know if that's contradicting what we're gonna talk about or going to enhance it, but I'm a big fan of like knowing the end in mind and going mm -hmm. all in on that and not trying to check a box and postpone to an unknown future date. I agree. And I think that that's what most people do is they just kind of, which is not bad, right? It's kind of do as you're told or do as the next guy next to you is doing, which is the traditional model of, you know, putting money away in these different retirement vehicles. But you're right. They never take the time to think of, okay, well, when I reach this age, what does it start to look like when things unravel, when I start to take money out? And so kind of the topic that we'll talk about now, right? The distributions and things like that, the disaster retirement distributions is, Maybe now you get kind of a second chance to take some of that money out if you want to, if you happen to qualify and, you know, now think about the end in mind and see what your other options are than what you started off with initially. Cool. So let's, let's dive into that and, and, and just talk about the framework and I'm, I'm here taking notes. Cool, man. Okay. So, um, some notes over here on the other side of the screen, if you see me look, so we'll start with the, so the traditional model, right? With a 401k or an IRA is to contribute money. And over time, ideally that money is tied to the stock market and it will grow over time through contributions and appreciated growth. And then when you hit 59 and a half, your retirement age, you can start to take distributions from that. Given the recent disasters and things like that, that have gone on with COVID and you know, certain hurricanes and weather and things like that, the IRS has allowed you to take money out of these retirement plans penalty-free. Typically, the penalty is 10%, and it's essentially a premature distribution. So to kind of back up, if I make $50,000 in a year, and I put 10000 of that away in a retirement account, the government gives me a break and only taxes me on that 40000 that I take home because I'm, you know, I'm getting the benefit for saving $10,000. The way that that works down the road is, is if I now take out that $10,000, it was never previously taxed. So now I'm going to owe tax on that $10,000, but no penalty because I was good and I followed the rules and I waited until I was 59 and a half. 
And so flip side to that, there's a Roth account, which, you know, I'm sure many of the listeners maybe know about too. How that works is let's take that same example of the 50,000. If I put away 10,000 in a Roth account, in this case, we'll say Roth 401k because the limit on a Roth is only 6,000. I, I still pay tax on 50,000, even though I put 10,000 away in a Roth account, because that's why when I take out that 10,000, when I'm 59 and a half, I don't pay any tax. And so that's why typically you'll hear people say when you're younger, it makes more sense to do a Roth account because you're paying the tax now, you're taking the tax hit, but now all of that money is growing tax-free and appreciating. And so if I turn that $10,000 and never contribute another dime, and now it's worth a million dollars, I just had $999,000 of appreciation that I'm going to pay zero tax on because it's all after-tax money. So that's kind of a little background there of kind of just how these accounts will work. But so the first act, right, was the CARES Act that released in March 2020. And what this allowed is you were allowed to take a distribution from an IRA or retirement account of up to $100,000 penalty-free. And so what that means is, is typically if you were to do that, you would not only pay tax on that $100,000, you would also get hit with a $10,000 premature penalty because you took it out early. Yeah, 10%, right? Or you, oh, oh yeah, sorry, yes. If, yep. if you took yep. 100,000, it would be, be 10,000, right? Yep, yep. Okay. So $10,000. And so now, given if you know you qualify for one of these distributions, you can take that distribution penalty-free. And another caveat to this is, is so before any of these acts, if you were to do that, you were not only going to pay the 10% penalty, which would be 10 grand on 100,000, you would have to pay the tax on the 100,000 in that year. So if I took out $100,000 in year one, and I also make 50,000 at my job, I'm going to be taxed on 150 grand in that year. But they gave you the option to spread it out over three years, which was kind of nice too. And they not only gave you the option to spread out that tax liability over three years, meaning I would show 33,000 in one year, 33, 33, to kind of help that tax burden, you know, because that's why when people say, oh, I took out 100,000, but I'm going to save 25 for taxes, you know, so really you're netting about 75, you would be able to pay less tax each year for the three years. But they also give you the option to pay it back. And that's because they want to incentivize people to put it back into their retirement plan so that it keeps rolling and essentially growing until they're 59 and a half. So the first one was the CARES Act released in March 2020. Quick note on that too. If you, we have, what is this, nine days until the tax returns are due for 2020. And so I will say the quick note is you have to, if you do decide to take a distribution and you have already done that, and you do decide to pro rata that over three years and spread that out, you do have to make an election on this year to do that. So make sure that if you haven't filed your return and you have done that and, or decide to do that, make sure you talk to your accountant about electing to do that. Right. Um, I think it's also fair to say that all of this is not tax advice. Oh, yes. Good seek, disclaimer. Good disclaimer. Seek, uh, seek out either to go call up mm. Matt and his firm or work with somebody that, that can help you. Um, this is really good to know because this kind of gives us ammunition to go back to our professionals and say, Hey, mm -hmm. like, does this make sense? I'm curious, you say qualify if someone qualifies, who doesn't qualify for the CARES Act? So, so if you didn't experience a financial hardship, and so this is where it kind of gets kind of gray. So I've seen people that have lost their job or been furloughed. And I would say right there, that's a direct, right? You've been affected by that. But even if a family member or something like that, or someone you relied on for income or shelter, you know, was hindered, then that would qualify too. 
Another thing is to, you didn't have to have lost your job. You could, let's say, take a decrease in hours. You went from working full-time to maybe part-time, that as well. So if your pay in any way, shape, or form was affected, I would say that you qualify for one of these distributions. So it, it sounds like it's if money-wise, directly or indirectly, if the pandemic has affected affected you, you'd qualify. How are they? Is it just kind of the honor system? Because I, I imagine with all, like the IRS is already understaffed. I, I imagine mm-hmm. that they don't have a, a huge department looking looking into that. Cause it's mainly, it's like, I experience a hardship, I qualify. It's not like you have to get approval beforehand. Mm-mm. You may be asked by your administrator, you know, of your 401k plan or your IRA of things like that, because they're gonna, when they cut you the 1099 form that says, hey, so-and-so took a distribution, they may put a code on there of why you took the distribution. Most of the time, what we see is it's the normal box of they just check the box that that says premature distribution, which that's where you have to talk to your accountant because if they just input that into their software, not thinking about these rules, you will get hit with that 10% penalty. So something to keep in mind that if you did take a distribution in 2020 to check with your accountant and say, hey, you know, this was, you know, a relief distribution that, you know, I did experience some sort of hardship so that you don't get hit with that penalty because, you know, that can be pretty large, you know, 10%. And and really it's the, the penalty is waived and we get to spread out the tax bill potentially uh, in, in three years, which is pretty unheard of and pretty exciting. When does this, when does this end? So it ends. So you have a, I have the note here. You have 180 days after the date of the enactment. Um, but through 2020. And so there was another one that was passed though, the consolidated appropriations act of 2021, the rules there are similar. You avoid the 10% penalty, but here's where there's another caveat that changed too. So you can take loans from your 401k, right? And so prior to the passing of this act, it was the lesser of 50 grand or 50% of the vested balance. So the loan amount had to be 50 grand or 50% of your vested balance in the IRA or 401k. Now they've increased those to 100,000 or 100% of the vested balance. So that as well. So within the year that it's happened, so really 2020 or 2021 is when you can take these. And again, not only was it COVID related, but these recent hurricanes and things like that too have allowed people to qualify. And, and what, is the, what is the one in 2021 called? The Consolidated Appropriations Act. Okay, so it's essentially the same thing. And if, if someone wants to take advantage of it this year, that's, they're not going to look at the CARES Act. CARES Act was kind of the thing that brought this to everyone's attention, but they mm-hmm. would be, be doing the 2021 version. And again, I would just encourage everybody to talk to your financial professional. Uh, taking a step back and saying, why does this matter? It matters because some, some of you, especially if you listen to this show, realize that your qualified plan might not be getting you the result you want, but you kind of have those handcuffs on because it's like you have to pay taxes and penalties. And so it's like, oh, it's like, maybe I'll just keep it in there. And over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, it's going to do its thing. And it will be that that asset that can help me. But this potentially will give you an opportunity to get that money out more efficiently. And what we preach here, Matt, is like money is ultimately uh, meant to help you get closer to your ideal life. We, we talk about intentional living being the metric. And so I, I, I like preach, preach, preach that your time, that your money, your potential should all be really focused on that, that activity, those investments, those people that will help you live more intentionally. And so I'm just a big fan of 
people personally reflecting on, on their own situation saying, what does that look like? And I, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs that we meet with that are not intentional with how they're investing their money. There's throwing money, hoping, hoping that something will happen because that's what they are told, but they're not taking control of this. And I see this as a, in a potential efficiency hack for you to talk to your, um, your, per, your tax professionals and see if we could create efficiencies in getting ca capital out. Is there anything I'm missing from a standpoint of like the, why this is interesting to you and what you're doing with your clients? So, well, I would say two things. And to your point of, again, back to those people who maybe could have qualified for these distributions, but then never took one, you still have time. Two, it's maybe for those people who, again, were just contributing into a 401k. I've met people all the time that have no idea how much money that they truly have in these 401k and retirement plans. And so again, a chance to step back and take a look at the end goal and kind of reverse engineer how you're going to get there. And maybe you end up realizing that the traditional route and the original route that you had planned, which was this retirement plan, is not going to get you there, or it's not going to give you that sort of lifestyle that you wanted as far as cash flow goes or whatever the case may be at that time. And so this is a time to step back, reflect, and see, could I put this money to better use? Yep. I love it, man. Let's transition to just talking about entrepreneurship, talking about taxes in general. Uh, if, if we take a step back, you work with a lot of real estate professionals and entrepreneurs. What are some of the big mistakes that people are making as it relates to taxes like, I know that's a general question, but I, I just think uh, what I've seen is a lot of people do not have a strategy. They're just kind of going through the motions and they're dreading every time they have to pay taxes, but they're not really doing anything about it. This is a really good question. And it may not even sound like it's related that much to taxes, but it is. And it's bookkeeping. That's how I met Ryan Pineda. He needed a bookkeeper. I reached out to him on Instagram and said, dude, I can do the job really well. I felt confident in it, right? But Bookkeeping is the number one thing that small business owners and new business owners, new entrepreneurs should pay attention to because anytime you want to know what you're going to pay in tax or what your cash flow is, or you want to go get a loan at a bank, it all comes back to bookkeeping and what your PL looks like, the health of your business. This is why I think it kind of goes back to my accounting degree, right? It's the language of business. And so anytime you're looking to partner with somebody or whatever it may be, you need to know your numbers. And so bookkeeping right there is the number one thing that is, if anybody listens to this and leaves with one thing, make sure that, can you answer this question? Could I get somebody a profit and loss statement within an hour? And if it's not maybe a profit and loss statement that's through August, September, you know, even maybe you're only a month behind, that's fine. But can you get a profit and loss statement together quickly? And if the answer is no, I would say go back and work on your bookkeeping. If you need to hire somebody, maybe that's a need that now you've reached. So there's that bookkeeping. And number two, I'll say is like you kind of mentioned previously at the beginning was working with a tax advisor, but not just to do your tax return. We used to have clients that come to us all the time and say, hey, can you do my tax return? Sure, we'll do your tax return. But now we've kind of shifted away from that model because we want larger clients and clients that take their taxes more seriously and their businesses more seriously because now they need an advisor that's going to meet with them maybe quarterly, semi-annually to now not only hey, it's April, can you do my tax return? What do I owe or what's my refund? It's, hey, like right now, it's October, November, it's tax planning season. Let's run your numbers and see where you're at. What are you projected to owe if your business continues at this path you know, or at this pace? So getting a tax advisor, not just somebody that's gonna prepare your tax return, somebody that you can bounce ideas off and confirm things with them. And two, bookkeeping, the most important things, I would say. 
I love it, man. Thank you for that clean answer. I think every entrepreneur, including myself, we want to shrink back when we think of bookkeeping. I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one with the box full of receipts that I, yeah. okay. We call it the shoe box. Yeah. I probably shouldn't throw this out. So I'm just going to, I'm just <laughs> going to stuff it in and pray that we don't get audited on this lunch receipt because mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's going to be a full-time job, but, but really if you have a system in place, it shouldn't work that way. And I can't tell you how many people are flying blind. And oh. it's like, how do you run your life? How do you make decisions? How do you run a business if you actually don't know what's going on? But that's what's scary. Some people make so much money and they have no clue what they're doing with it. And that's where like, I'll be honest, I sit back. I was the guy that did tax returns at a firm, was making an okay salary. I bought a home at 22. So I was, I felt like I was ahead. Yeah. But then I'm like, I was staying in public accounting. So again, I'm seeing a variety of clients and I'm seeing people that have no clue, Caleb. They have no clue and they're making a ton of money and they, they, they're, they're just an, a mess, chaos. And I'm like, it works for some people, but just to think how much better they would be if they had things that were organized and, you know, so, but yeah, man, that's a question I still can't answer. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a couple, couple questions at you tax related, uh, no pressure, but I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just more curious when it comes to entities. What are some mm -hmm. entity hacks that people high level should be thinking about as it relates to structuring their business? So when you wake up one day and want to become a business owner, you do not need an LLC to start a business. I tell people to set up an LLC, a limited liability company within their state. Don't do this whole Delaware thing where there are times for that. But if yeah. you want to start a business in the state in which you live in, go start an LLC in that state when you're ready to spend money on your business. And again, I would just start with an LLC. So from a tax perspective, we call that a single member LLC. If you own it with someone else, that's a partnership, but it's still an LLC. And so with a single member LLC, what people need to know is setting up an LLC is not to save on taxes. If anything, the only tax you're going to save is because you get to deduct the amount that you paid to set it up, yeah. which is an expense. But Which means you have setting, less money, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. which again, leaves you with less money, which again, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of spending money to save on taxes. Thanks. I am if you need to spend money within your business, I'm advertising, equipment, things like that. Yep. But just know that setting up an LLC is not to save money on taxes. But as far as starting a new business, an LLC is fine. We see people run millions of dollars through an LLC and that's fine. And then the next thing to watch out for, which we can touch on more now or later is the S corporation, which a lot of people get confused on too. It's, um, you know, we'll ask clients, do you have an S corporation? And they say, no, I have an LLC. And we're like, okay, well, that's the same. What that is, is you set up an LLC, you're doing business as an LLC. And then there comes a time when you're talking with your tax advisor that you say, Hey, I'm making a little bit more money. I want more retirement options, whatever it may be. And I'm looking to save more on self-employment tax. Right. And I think the S corporation makes sense for me. And your accountant will help you elect S corporation status, which all that means is you took your current LLC and you told the IRS, Hey, I want to treat this LLC as an S corporation. And now you have a formal tax return that you file for that entity and things like that. But if you're going to start a new business or a small business, set up an LLC, and then just make sure that you're working with your accountant and say, you know, just throw that buzzword at them. Hey, does it make sense for me to be an S corporation? And they should be able to quickly tell you. I can tell you that it's based on net income most of the time. If you're making about 50 to 60,000 net income after expenses, it most likely makes sense to be an S corporation. Right. There's, we'll, we'll have conversations offline. There's, I, I should, I also have a friend who's like very passionate against the S corporation because mm. of exit strategies. 
And so it's a, it's a whole, like, it's, yeah. it's super interesting, but this is what I'll say is I agree with you by the way. And a lot of times when people come in that one switch changes how they pay themselves in distributions and salaries and boom, mm -hmm. frees up thousands and thousands of dollars Oh yeah, because of one entity switch. And that's a, that's an example of efficiency. And so the, the point is regardless of what you do, have the end in mind. And it is funny because like, I just brought up the example, Every no one agrees on anything these days, <laughs> but you want to work with someone that has a clear understanding about what results you want now and in the mm -hmm. future. And I'm telling you can't like a tax professional is a must, uh, going on to my mm -hmm. next favorite subject when it comes to taxes is deductions. And oh yeah. Something that's been thrown out there is 179 section 179. Can you explain that? And then I would love to hear from you. Is there any like fancy outside of the box deductions that maybe someone should look into, or, you know, I just, it, in college, we had a tax class and this was my favorite class. Cause I'm just like, man, this is very interesting. This is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm not trying to put you in, in a corner. Uh, we were good. No, this is but, stuff yeah. that we deal with all the time. So section 179, most people think of vehicles when it comes to that. And it's essentially a form of bonus depreciation that allows you to depreciate the whole asset. And so rewind that. What is an asset? Something like a car, which most people like Ramsey will tell you that's a liability, which is true, right? It's a form of a liability, but it is truly an asset. You now have bought an asset. And so 179 allows you to bonus depreciate or depreciate the whole thing. So typically without electing section 179 or bonus depreciation, if you buy a car for 50 grand and you want to expense it, most people think, hey, one, I have to pay 50 grand cash for this car to expense it. And you do not. You can walk out of the dealership and finance 100% of the car and still expense that car. There's a couple of ways how you can expense the car. A car is depreciated over five years. That is what the IRS has deemed the life for a vehicle to be. So my first option is saying, okay, I bought this car, whether I financed it or paid cash for it, it does not matter. I can take $10,000 for the next five years as a deduction if I want to, or I can elect 179 if the car is over 6,000 pounds and used for business more than 50% of the time. Those are some caveats. Then I can bonus depreciate the whole thing up front. So you can see how powerful this is with, you know, oh, it's December 20th and I'm stuck with too much net income and I want to lower it. I need a big expense. Most people go out and buy cars. The Range Rover is a big option because it's more than 6,000 pounds. It's flashy. People like to drive it. And again, if you can use it within your business, it works. And so you could elect section 179 and write off that car 100%. And so it's prorated. Just know that if you only use the car for 75% of the time, you can only write off 75% of the purchase price. So don't think that you have to use it 100% of the time for business. It can be used for less than 100%. For 179, it has to be used more than 50% though. So know that that's one of the caveats. But again, keep in mind, you don't need section 179 because let's say you use the car 30% of the time, it's less than 50, but you still can bonus depreciate that 30% in the first year. So um, a lot of nuance there. So again, consult whoever you're working with for your taxes. If, if, you, um, if yeah. you're writing the whole car, off, uh, let's say you write 75% of the Range Rover off mm -hmm. and then you are traveling, can you also expense the gas mileage? So with vehicles, you either get to take the actual or the mileage. Actuals are purchase price of the car, the gas, the repairs and things like that, or the mileage. With a vehicle, when you pick one, you have to stick with it. 
Got it. So if I pick bonus depreciation and my actual expenses over here, I can't take mileage as well. Good to know. It's good to so, know. But yeah. you get to where you know you have multiple vehicles within your business. Then you start to see what you always take what's greater. So yep. you're always going to want to run the analysis and see what makes most sense for you. I love it. What other yeah. deductions are like are good to know? So one that I was just talking about yesterday with somebody. So I have a golden doodle seems to be a big popular dog now, yep. but you can actually write off pet expenses if you have a home office and it's a large enough dog and you, you know, have for some reason claim that it's a security dog. So that is something that's pretty interesting. So when you talk about that, you're talking about fencing, you're talking about food, you're talking about training, you're talking about grooming. So those are some things that you would, most people wouldn't even think could be deductible, but they are. The two things that people want to keep in mind when it comes to writing something off is, is it ordinary and is it necessary in your business? That is what the IRS looks at when it comes to writing something off. Would someone else in a similar situation in a business write this off? And so I'll be honest, working with Ryan and seeing how big he's got on YouTube and dealing with now with some of these other YouTubers, I mean, I'll say we were talking with someone else, I won't say names, but that was buying luxury like exotic cars for their YouTube channel and was writing them off as props. I am waiting to have a meeting with that accountant to talk about that strategy and things like that, because to right. me, that would fall under the automobile rules and things like that. I don't know if that would necessarily be allowed. I would hope it is, but it just shows that now when you're behind a camera and you're doing certain, like in your filming and you're traveling and things like that, it's unlimited for what you can write off. Like, right. because again, the, the pursuit there of having a YouTube channel for most people that are taking it seriously is the pursuit of income to gain clientele, to right. somehow monetize that viewer back to your business. And so you can just see there that if you follow somebody through, pick any YouTube video, what you see in that YouTube video is likely deductible. So right. the pet expense is one of them, but I'm talking anything ranging from food to equipment to racks. I just talked with somebody the other day, they put racks on their Tacoma and they run a YouTube channel and they do like outdoor adventures and stuff. And I'm like, there you go. Like, it's just, it, it's endless. There's thousands, there's millions. You I think, say. I think the key thing is, and this is, again, this is not uh, tax advice, but it's like documenting it well. And what, mm -hmm. what are the two rules? Is it ordinary? And is it and necessary? And is it necessary? So if you document that and let's say you get audited and let's say it's not like you, you have, you have a good argument, you have everything documented. And then they're like, you know, you can't write your car off as an, as a prop. You're not mm -hmm. going to jail. No, not if you had bad intention, you're not going to go to jail. You're going to have bad intention if you grossly overstated something and lied about it and didn't have documentation. But yeah, ideally, worst case scenario is they disallow it. So if your tax rate was, let's just say freeze of numbers, 25%, and you took a $100 deduction that the IRS ends up saying, nope, can't take it, you're going to owe back 25 bucks in tax. Right. So, it's, it's so one of those, it is one of those things everyone's afraid about an audit, but it's like if you are are documenting well you shouldn't be mm -hmm. afraid of the audit uh, i know just as many people that when they get audited like it's now it's no sweat because they know the game and it's like yeah. not like the irs is coming to your door knocking it's mm -hmm. that's where you need a good team and that's where i'm like man i'm your biggest fan because i think everyone needs to have someone like you in their corner for sure dude and another thing like if you get flagged for audit one hopefully you have a good cpa there or account that can help you but it's just another human being that's going to email you or send you a letter. Or if you have a field auditor, you're going to meet with them. You're going to be nice. You're going to bring them coffee. You're going to sit down in a room and say, all right, dude, what do we have to do here? Like what's going on? Yeah. And likely they're probably just as nervous as, as you know, the client maybe is not an accountant if they've dealt with them, but at the end of the day, it's people and good relationships. And so if you're nice to each other and you come to an agreement here and you show that you have to, like good documentation, you have nothing yeah. to worry about.
And any any tax credits that uh, that we should be aware of. Uh, I guess the difference between a deduction and a credit. A deduction is deducting your your income, and so it's it's powerful. But a credit mm -hmm. is like an actual money that that is credited to you. And a lot of people just overlook these. Is there any any credit strategies that you're looking into? So EV vehicles is still a good one. Home energy, like if you try to go green energy on your home, child tax credit. And yes, so I will touch on, like you mentioned, a credit is a lot better than a deduction. Deduction just lowers your net income, which then you're subject to tax to. A credit is a dollar for dollar reduction in your tax. And there's things called refundable credits or non-refundable, meaning if I have a tax bill of 5,000 bucks and I have a $6,000 credit, if that's a refundable credit, I not only lower my tax bill to zero, but I have a $1,000 overage, you could say, and I get to keep that $1,000. It's a check that comes back to me. If it's a non-refundable credit, it means that if I had $5,000 in tax and I have a $6,000 non-refundable credit, I just simply wipe out my bill to zero and I don't get to walk with that thousand But Child tax credit is probably the biggest, especially now, right? Like for me, I make the joke. I, ha I just had twins. So there's six grand right there for me, but I think it'll cost uh, you more than six grand. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Tell me about it. But yeah, child tax credit, clean energy, things like that. And then, right. Depending on what business you're in, talk to your accountant about that. Cause there's so many. It's cool. Cool. Yeah. Any other, any other legal loopholes that, uh, that someone mm. should look into? I will talk about a big one. So I don't know how much you're into crypto. I honestly am not that much into crypto myself. I own a little bit of it, but I'm not daily, like I'm not watching this daily and trading this stuff daily, but um, there, there is a really interesting strategy now. And so loss harvesting, which you may be familiar with, right? With stocks. Quick example, if I own something that I bought for 50 and it's worth 30, and I sell it now for 30. I take that $20 loss, but then it's, I buy it back at 30. The IRS says, no, 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 you can't do that. You just basically artificially gave yourself a loss because you bought it right back. So you own the same asset that you had for $50, but you just, just wanted to lock in your in, loss, locking yeah. in the loss. So yeah. they disallow that because it's called wash sale rules mm -hmm. with crypto. That does not apply. And so we know how volatile crypto is. So I gave the example the other day that if you bought 50,000 worth of crypto and it's December, and now you, we obviously know crypto is so volatile. If it drops down to 30,000, I can sell for 30, buy back for 30, lock in that $20,000 loss. And no matter where I end up at the end of the year, I can now take that $20,000 capital loss against other stock income. So, but that's a big one right now. And there's no guidance out on it yet. And so right. do I think that'll end up being overturned? Yes. Yeah. Not if you did it right now while there were no rules on it, right. but what, well, you know, right. I think that will end up getting overturned. It's, it, it's an example and I'm trying to find a good analogy here, but it's an example of like do it, investing in crypto indirectly to pick up other great benefits. I mean, we see this with depreciation with real estate. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. real estate is an amazing asset alone because you yeah. can use leverage it hopefully cash flows it hopefully appreciates but the tax benefits and depreciation i mean if you're if you're good at real estate as you know taxes may, you might not even know what a tax taxes are <laughs> um, exactly. so I'm, I'm a little jealous. we have we have yeah. uh, some clients that are pretty well known in the real estate space and they uh they don't pay taxes and uh mm -hmm. it's pretty pretty amazing i think they've definitely cracked the code matt you are a blast to talk uh, talk to. Um, <laughs> Thanks, I think man. people got to see a little bit of me through this because I generally, this was very selfish for me to bring you on. 
Uh, <laughs> I appreciate what you're doing in the world. Um, I always end interviews with something uh, called the legacy question. Mm-hmm. And the legacy question you got to like put your father hat on now okay. is if this is your last day on earth mm-hmm. and you're with the people that you love the most, there's nothing that you can pass on, no video, no book, just a last conversation. Out of all the things that you've learned, out of all the things that you've reflected on, what are you going to make sure to focus on in that conversation to share with the people that you love the most? I would, and it's funny, I just saw this dropping my son off at school this morning on the back of a dumpster. It said a kind word is never wasted. And I think what I've always taken like the most, not pride in, because I would say like I do this myself, but I love nice people and humble people. I really have an issue with people that just like think that they're better than other people and kind of like, you know, portray that. And so I think what I try to instill and what I, in my two-year-old right now, which isn't the easiest, but is to just be kind to people and wait to hear their story and be nice. Like being nice gets you really far. And if you're genuine with it, like you're going to make the best relationships and meet the best kind of people. And I saw this, like Ryan Pineda just threw an event and he said, guys, you're not going to leave here with thinking, oh, the knowledge that I said on stage and everything I gave on stage was good. You're going to leave here with the relationships and the people that you just met, and that's going to make you more money in the long run. And so again, what I would instill in that last conversation with my kids and my family would be, you know, be kind to people and be nice is big for me. I love that, man. How can people connect with you, follow what you're up to? I I can't wait for the day that you're, you're going to write a book. We'll have to have you back on. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But uh, how can people connect with you? So Instagram, it's uh, at Matt Bontrager underscore would be there. Um, I try to post like, you know, tax tips, things like that. And I would just say our website, truebookscpa.com. If you're interested in seeing what we have for tax and accounting service, that's what we live and breathe daily. So that's kind of, you know, that's what we're passionate about. That's what we help our clients with. So that'd be the easiest way. I love it, man. I appreciate you taking time to be on the show and we'll definitely have to have you back on as I love, love the game of being efficient and especially mm-hmm. if you are a real estate investor and, and you're a business owner, one of the best efficiency hacks is having a tax strategy because it is one of those things where just a different paradigm shift can actually put mm-hmm. real dollars back in your pocket. And I've seen that firsthand. And uh, I want to continue to share share this message with the, the Better Wealth Nation. Dude, that would be an awesome podcast if we did one on real estate. We could go hours, but that would be a really good one if you have a good viewer base for that, for sure. Let's consider it done, man. Consider it done. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.